is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This week's episode is brought to you by The Story is a State of Mind School. Early registration is now open for The Story Intensive, an amazing course happening this fall, all about craft and brilliant writing, offered by the one and only Sarah Selecki, who you all know as a repeat guest on the show. Find out how you can sign up for the course and request me as your TA at carolinedonahue.com story. There will also be some group coaching calls for those who sign up through me and other fun stuff going on over there. So again, the link to check that out is carolinedonahue.com story. Okay, now on with the show. Hey doll, thanks for coming on. Hey Caroline, thanks for having me. Oh yeah. So I've, I have been, for the listeners, I have wanted to have Dal on for, what, like a year? Like since the beginning of the show? And it has taken <laughs> this long to convince her that this is really a, an important conversation for us to share. And so the reason I'm having Dal on is that she and I are kind of at the same stage, I think at the same stage that many of you are at, which is, you know, we're writing novels, um, haven't yet published a whole shelf full of books like many of the guests have that have been on. And I think... I just wanted to extend the conversation to what it feels like to be at the beginning and to have other kinds of training like Dal and I both have that you're bringing from your life into your writing. So this will be more of an open-ended conversation we're both going to share and I'm hoping that you know you'll find something in it that you can relate to. So anyway Dal, thanks for thanks for being my guinea pig for this new kind of episode. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me on. Well, plus we can't resist the accent, so we got to have you on for that. <laughs> Thank you. You might yeah. need to use um, subtitles or transcription if I go a bit too Yorkshire. No, I doubt it. I doubt it. Everyone is prepared. Let's start by talking about sort of what it takes to, to like muster the gumption to write a novel. And I know you're doing a whole master's in therapeutic writing, and I really want to talk about your your thesis that you're going to be working on sort of as a as a reason to write a novel but maybe we could talk about where your novel came from and and how that process is at the moment yeah um my novel it it kind of the whole storyline and I can't even remember exactly where from just kind of filtered into my head one day and I I think I was out and about somewhere and I remember just writing the a, a rough outline into my notes section of my iPhone and that was literally it. The whole, it just kind of, I don't know, came from the ethers into my head. And I thought, I'm going to write about this. And I don't, I, 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 there was nothing to do with like, I'm going to write a novel. What shall I write about? Literally, the story came first. And I think I just had that in my iPhone for quite a few months. And then one day, a couple of years ago, just picked it up and started writing in it writing it and it just flowed I just found myself really engaged with the story and as I was writing it I realized that this was a, a a real romp I really wanted to write about some of the personal experiences I'd I'd had in a creative way and just to release some I don't know if I'm explaining myself properly but for example, I'd been I'd experienced bullying at work, so I really wanted to caricaturize. Caric I don't know the word. How do you say that, Caroline? Characterize. 
Thank you. But I think caricaturing the bullies is also an excellent technique. Yeah, so that's what I was wanting to do, caricature it, the bullies, which I did. And I had enormous fun doing it. And that was very, very therapeutic, very healing. And it just went on from there. And um, then I stalled for a couple of years because of uh, my father having a stroke and then subsequently passing away. And then just picked the novel up again um, a few months ago. It hadn't gone away. The urge to write it was even stronger and the urge to put more of myself into it. So it's become more of a cathartic process writing it has, has just been growing and growing. That's amazing. I love it. So, well, I'll share as well because where my novel came from because it was a similar experience and um, I think I wrote about it in one of the newsletters was that I was we were on our honeymoon and I I went to the loo. We were at a pub. We were at a pub. Well, I guess it's not a pub because we were in Berlin. I don't know that they call them pubs there. It was a, I guess it was a bar, but it didn't feel like a bar. It felt more like a pub. People were watching, they were watching football and not American football. But anyway, I was there. We were drinking cider. We were there. Well, I was drinking cider because I can't drink beer. He was drinking beer. We were hanging out. We were writing in journals. And I went to the loo and we had been on a walking tour of the Berlin Wall and there was a throwaway comment about all of these apartment buildings. They would have been, you know, misappropriated by the Nazis during the war. So they were trying to give them back after the wall came down. And there was this whole process of um, finding out who the real owners were. And so, and I was fascinated by this. And the thing that really stuck out to me was he said one of the buildings, once they went through all of the loopholes and weird channels because they were also trying to look at things that had been sold under pressure so also themes of bullying and then they figured out that one of them was actually according to their specifications and rules about where things were supposed to go owned by a graduate student in Philadelphia and I thought okay what happens if you're peacefully going about doing your graduate degree in Philadelphia and you're presented with the fact that you own an apartment building in Berlin what does that do to your life? Mm. And so that, the novel just sort of dropped on me in the loo, in, uh, in this pub, that, that this character who's had an apartment building in Berlin dropped on her peaceful life um, was the central mm. premise. And it's changed actually quite a lot since then, but, but I had the same experience of like, okay, it doesn't go away. It keeps coming. I have to keep looking at it. It has to be written. It's, it's just, I feel like it's growing inside me and it has to be written. It has to come out. It's not something that I can just hold inside and, and keep contained. So yeah. it sounds like a similar experience. Yeah, it is. It's like um, if I am busy for a week and I don't have as much time to write, I feel like I'm neglecting her, my character. Yes. <laughs> I feel exactly the same. I, mean, I think it's just really interesting. I think so for me, certainly, like with the ideas just like dropping into my head, it's so important to capture those moments. You may never do anything with them, but sometimes that can just grow into something else. But if we, and I think if we don't jot it down, sometimes you can just lose it. We just forget about it. But like yourself being in Berlin and getting that amazing story. Right. I mean, it's just, I think it's two things. It's like, I have to travel. It's like breathing or else I won't. And I know we've talked about this and, you know, travel is very important because these things, it, it forces you to notice things differently. 
like when you're somewhere else, like having just been in Ireland, it's like I, I noticed all of those things. And because I was looking so intently there, when I came home, I'm looking at things more intently here. Yeah. Have you found that to be true? Because you were just in Crete and riding yeah. up a storm over there. Yeah, I was. And um, it was the environment really influenced um, what I was writing and how I was writing, I found. And I mean, it was it was it was just pouring out um, of me in Crete, which was a real buzz. Um, I think one of the wonderful things about writing and claiming yourself as a writer is that everything for me everything becomes fascinating I might you know it might not be something that I'm normally interested in but you just never know where that might filter into part of your story it's just you know people kept saying to me in Crete like where do you get your inspiration and um, it must be very inspiring here and and I'd say well I'm inspired everywhere <laughs> and um, and I am you know there's a make and model I mean it sounds silly but a make and model of car what kind of nail polish somebody is wearing what's happening in politics so the bigger picture the little picture and the details um yeah so travel definitely does have an influence on that and, and part of my um novel is set on um Orcadian Island up um over in off mainland Scotland so yeah that does involve having to travel up to Scotland Although I haven't been that far up yet, but I'm going to have to. And I think that's one of the beauties of writing a novel is, um, it, for me, it's it's made me do things that I wouldn't normally do because I, I want to experience it so I can write about it. Um, so I'm get, I get the opportunity to travel up to the Orkneys at some point because I want to see what it smells like, feels like how the earth feels under bare feet and what the colour of the water looks like, you know, at different times of day. I, I actually want to be there to experience it. I mean, although you can do that from um, online research and library research, um, for me it's just important to to breathe it in. So, yeah, that is one of the exciting things oh, about writing novels. That and you can't get in a smell. Country. You can't get a smell on, online, I don't think. I think no. the, the other part about it, which is, you know, oh, oh no, we get to write off travel because you're working on a book. That isn't, <laughs> that isn't a bad thing. I don't know exactly, I don't know the tax, tax laws in the UK about it, but at least in the US, if you're, you know, working in a particular field and then you're traveling as a result of that, you get to write it off your taxes. So, oh no, I'm writing a novel partially set in Berlin. That's, that's, woe is me. <laughs> Tax-free travel, don't you love it? <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, it's, but that isn't really the main reason. That's just a nice side effect. I think you're right. It's just like, I was talking about this in the writers, the coffee shop writers group the other day, that we're all thinking about the process of writing a novel, you know, with no promise of publication at the point of writing it. And yeah. If you look mm. at writing a book and the potential, you know, financial payoff or anything and all the amount of effort and personal, you know, intensity and all of it that has to go into it, like it's kind of a ridiculous proposition. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you're just looking at it like, you know, an investment banker or something, but, but from the side effect of all that happens to you and all the alchemy of, of writing it and how it changes your life, um, mm. then it doesn't. It, it almost gets to the point where publishing the book is a side effect because 
I think yeah. like you said about how therapeutic it is, and I definitely want to go into um, maybe what you've been studying next about that process, but I have noticed the same. Like ever since I was, I, I've identified more strongly as a writer and been working on writing projects I take seriously. Like, you know, in the past number of years, I've been in jobs that were really stressful and, and awful and and it made them less awful to think like, oh, I could use this person as a character <laughs> or that that thing that that person said that I thought was so ridiculous is actually a pretty good line of dialogue or, you know, those things. Um, I remember there was a sticker with NaNoWriMo and it said like, be nice to me or I'll put you in my novel. There is a certain amount, there's a certain amount of um, empowerment in that, I guess. Yeah. I think it just makes, it makes you more present to the moment. It makes life more exciting and bearable, even when you're going through tough times or when I'm going through tough times, you know, I'm feeling it, I'm living it, but I'm also thinking in the back of my mind, this is material. This is stuff that I'm going to, you know, I could use, you know, this is life experience. It's all valuable. And I think alchemy, absolutely. Um, if, if you really, if it's, a, if, if it's a passion project and it's something that you have to do, you have to write it, then that the stuff, the writing is one thing. It's the stuff that goes on at a much deeper level and around what you're writing. It, it's You're right. It is pure alchemy and it can be incredibly life-changing and it opens up doors it opens up opportunities even though you're spending maybe a lot of time crouched over your computer it just it's an adventure I see it as a real adventure it can be sometimes agonizing (laughs) um but I I think it's for me it's more than just being published I would obviously I'd love to get it published and make money out of it Um, or out of any future books that I write but it's I'm at that stage now it's something I have to do I have to do it if I I can't not do it (sighs) yeah I think I think how it is yeah I think it is I mean part of it I'm I'm almost envious of of that intensity because I don't know that it feels that intense for me as but I do feel like yesterday morning I went to the coffee shop before work and I sat down and I wrote a scene and it felt really good. And I was, I got to the coffee shop later than I wanted and I was beating myself up on the way there and thinking, Oh, well, you're never late for your boss and you're never late for, you know, your clients. And I'm never late for a podcast recording, but I'm late for myself and I'm late for this character. And that's not fair. Um, but anyway, so even I got through that and then I sat down and I had my little cappuccino and I um, and then I wrote and I wrote a scene and it came out really quickly and it felt really good. And and so it's like you get to that point and then you just do it. And I think the it feels like that Anais Nin quote, you know, the point comes where it's it's more painful to kind of be all curled up and away from it. I'm mangling the quote like, the yeah, you know, the one about the. The point came where it was more painful to be remain closed into a bud than to open. Like, I feel like this mm. trying, I've been trying for years and years to just say, oh, once I have this condition set, once I have this condition set, then I'll be able to yeah. write. I mean, and, and I've yeah. crossed them all off my list somewhat irritatingly. Like, oh, and they were ridiculous that had nothing to do with writing. Like, oh, well, now I'm married, so I can't really say once I meet the right person. And, you know, I'm 
in fine financial shape. I spent a lot of time like <laughs> really organizing all that. Once these balances are at this number and blah, 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 then I'll be able to write, which has nothing yeah. to do with writing. And, and like, once I have a house that I like, you know, all of this crap and it's all sorted out now. So I have no more excuses. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, are you going to do this or not? Like, are you, yeah. now I've interviewed, you know, 50, 50 plus people on the show. Like I've gotten everybody's, you know, input. Like I, I feel like I have really removed all of the obstacles that I thought were there to writing the book. And with the, your, with your obstacles, what do you think now? Do you, do you, do you wish that you just started writing anyway? Or, or really did you feel you had to get all these things out of the way? Or were they just ways to stop you from writing, reasons to stop you writing? Legitimate reasons, possibly. But I think, I mean, I think they were sort of misidentified obstacles. I think what was really there was a fear of what it would mean to actually write a book what that would, yeah. what that would mean. And I think, you know, the inner turmoil, as we both know, since you are of the social work persuasion, and I studied, you know, psychology, like, I know it's not about the, it's not about the relationship. It's not about where you live. It's not about like getting your bank accounts all twiddled into a certain line. It's, it's about fear of confronting yeah. whatever might happen once you write the book. Yeah. I totally, I've been in exactly the same place. I've just been planning and planning and trying to get myself in the right moment. And we are just, I think so many of us just are hardwired and programmed to have contingency plans and um, to wait for the right moment, to wait for the right conditions. And do you know what? They never come. <laughs> I think you just got to start writing. That's what I've realized. They're never going to, to properly come. I have to write. And I think the other thing is it's 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 quite something to just be you sat behind the keyboard, just you and the keyboard and to start writing, you know, all the fear, like you say, can I do this? Is what I'm writing any good at all? You know, am I going to spend the next two years of my life writing a novel that might not like bring me any kind of material comfort? It's you have yeah, you have to face a lot of personal shit, I think, when you sit in front of your keyboard or your notebook however you write yeah I'm like I'm not even at the keyboard yet I had to I tried and I had to retreat to the notebook because it made it less frightening yeah well um, have you heard of Dawn French French and Saunders the English comedians no absolutely oh no it's not absolutely fabulous Dawn French she's um written quite a few best-selling novels in England and she's um, written them longhand, all of them in notebooks. She does not use a computer at all. Oh, wow. Whole That's... novels. What kind? Whole, sorry, complete novels. Oh, whole. I thought you said horror novels. Oh. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think she wrote kind of whimsical um, stories, like kind of for women. I'm not sure, actually. Sorry, Dawn, if you're listening. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I didn't. I mean, I am all for writing horror novels, but yeah, whole novels on paper. That's amazing. I keep saying this to the people in the group, and I, as much as I'm saying it to them, I'm saying it to myself, that we have all of these weird judgments about the way that you put a book down on paper, but mm. I, I guarantee I have never in my life, nor do I know anyone else in my life who has read a book and said to themselves, oh, I bet they dictated that 
that book into the notes section of their iPhone. Like nobody has any idea or, oh, this really, I bet they, I bet they wrote it longhand. You know, it's just like nobody has any idea how it. all they're presented with is the finished product and, and that's all they get. So it doesn't matter how you get there. You just get there however it works for you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've written part of mine, well, most of it I've written on my iPad, actually. And then there's some scenes that I just scribbled into notebooks if they come to me um, when I'm out and about and I don't have my iPad. And then I'm also like working between my iPad and my laptop. So I think I've got notes on my iPhone. <laughs> um, but I've, I've got, I'm not the most structured kind of person. I'm, you know, I'm just quite loose. And don't kind of get caught up in that, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it seems to, it's working, it's keeping me writing. Yeah, I mean, I, so many people have said, like, if it's whatever it takes for you to write your book is what it takes for you to write your book. It doesn't, you know, and other people sharing their method, it just means that that's what worked for them writing their book. I think there's so much advice and information out there if you're a beginning writer, that's overwhelming, you know, how to write a book, how to structure your book, how to organize your time, what, you know, what program to use. I, I, I do use Scrivener as well. I love Scrivener. Um, there's just so, you can, I, I think, and I think I have done in the past, can get so caught up in how am I going to write this book? What's my best writing time? Which is all good things to know. But then you're not actually writing. I'm not actually writing. And what the best thing that worked for me is I just thought, right, I'm going to write this book. I just sat in front of my computer and I just started writing and I kept writing. And yes, I had a couple, um, a couple of years break from it. And that's exactly the process I've gone back to. Just keep writing. Keep writing forward. Yeah, I've got notes all over the place. I'm researching it as I go along. If I need to know something about how to make a whiskey barrel, I research that in the moment stick it in. I have a loose outline for the story, but as I sit down and write each time, I do not know. I have a rough idea of the scene I'm writing, but I don't know what's going to happen exactly because, you know, the characters are, are directing and leading me and it's um, it feels it's very organic and I've, I have found that that process for me right now works. I'm just kind of ignoring a lot of the advice. I'm not even looking at how-to books. I am looking a bit of, of, at form and craft because I'm teaching myself that as I, as I go along. I've never learned to write my highest um, qualification in English with my, it's called an O-level, or I think it's called GCSE now in England, but which I got when I was 16. So I never really learned to formally write. But I just sat down and I just thought, I'm just going to fucking write. I think that's what you have to do ultimately. You have to sit down, sit down and write. Just write. Even if the first lot is a load of crap, even if your whole first manuscript or poem or whatever, just allow yourself to write and you will learn by the writing what works for you and what kind of writer you are. Yeah. That was my, my lecture of the day. <laughs> I, I think it was, I think it was great. I, I definitely needed to hear it. And I think it's I think it's true. It's it you can you could spend all of your time reading books about how to write and take so much time reading them that you don't write anything. Uh, when I was at university doing my social work degree, I was so good at creating timetables. 
of when I, you know, I was going to like do all my um, research, my assignments, and it's going to, I'm going to do this bit on this day. Oh, I did, I did timetables all the time, and I never followed one of those timetables. <laughs> I've got three days now to write this essay, two days to write this essay. Okay, so I mean, I'm going back twenty odd years. Two litre bottle of Diet Coke, <laughs> lots of chocolate just sit at the computer and just write the thing and that's maybe that's my style you know and because you can always edit that's the beauty you know you can just always go back and edit what you've done I think that there is this fear among the many fears that come up that some I don't know depending on what country you live in there's going to be some creature whether it's like an elf or whatever who comes in the window takes your book and publishes it before you're ready it's like there's this odd parallel fear. There's like the fear that the elf is going to come in the window and publish the book before you're ready. And simultaneously, the fear that no one will ever publish the book and no one will ever read it. And it amazes me that they are equally intense and happening at the same time. I've never heard of the secret book publishing elf, but um, I really, really like that. But yeah, yeah, I guess that would be like being going outside and realizing you'd not put pants on or something like that. <laughs> You might have the secret, uh, it might be the secret book publishing fairy in the north of England. Yeah, quite possibly. But it's it's some sort of trickster who's going to take it away from you before you're ready and that people are going to see it before you fix it and you're afraid to write anything down because, oh, this is going to be crap and I don't want people to read it this way. When the truth is that you can revise it indefinitely, which is another problem if you do it for, you know, 20 years, but that that step is there it is it's a very vulnerable thing isn't it and i think also if somebody reads it before you're ready or stuff like that and you think it's not good enough it just really taps into that whole shaming kind of thing you know i'm not good enough and um you know my work's not good enough i'm i'm a crap writer which you know the the literary world i'm not part of it i'm writing this book but i don't see myself part of it it's very much about that it's very much about judgment and um creative writing courses are very much about you know critiquing work um on my course there's a few women who've done uh, masters in creative writing just pure creative writing and they just say in some of the sessions they're absolutely the work's ripped to bits and they just feel completely shredded um, because it's it's about critiquing and, and judgment and saying what is good and what is not good. but And I think that really holds people back. That's so sad because we have all got incredible voices, incredible stories, and our words are valid. And I think where I'm at is that, you know, if somebody read what I wrote in rough draft, um, in its rough draft version, and it is rough, it's really, really rough, <laughs> um, I would just think I, I I feel tough enough in myself to not be bothered by that. I don't know how I'd feel if it's published and people are just really slating it, but I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But I I think it's it's the way that it's the literary world is structured and the creative writing world operates. I yeah. don't know. Would you say that your um, your view as well? We make judgments about what is good and what is bad, or yeah, and it's, it can be pretty cruel out there, you know, and in the world with people, with trolls and people saying awful things. Definitely. I mean, I think we live in a, particularly with 
online, we live in such a review oriented culture. Like you can't purchase a single thing online now without being asked to participate in a survey and rate your experience. Like we're constantly, you know, we rate the books we read. We have sites entirely dedicated to reviewing what we thought of it. And I think that can be an insightful dialogue, but it can also be just an excuse to, you know, insult something. And, you know, whenever uh, somebody in the writer's group was saying this past week that, that she was walking through a bookstore and realized that every single book on the shelf in there was evidence that somebody had stuck it out and finished their novel, which I thought was a beautiful thought. And that all of these books are attached to live breathing people. Yeah. And we're so quick to judge the object, not thinking about what the experience was and who the person is connected to that book. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's, that's definitely, I, I will remember that next time I go into a bookshop. Totally. I know I already love them, but this makes them feel, I mean, they're already like, I, like I could love bookstops more than I do. That's probably dangerous, but, mm-hmm. but they feel, it makes it feel even more alive. Mm. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to ask too, because you alluded to your program that you're in, and I think it would be helpful to talk a little bit about the philosophy of therapeutic writing um, and the benefits mm. of therapeutic writing, because I think it's just an interesting antidote to most of us just think about the MFA and am I going to be good? Am I going to be accepted into the canon? You know, am I doing this the right way? Am I following the right trend? You know? Yeah, that's, I mean, being good, being part of the canon, following the trend, that is not what therapeutic writing world is about at all. Um, It's, it's almost the opposite the philosophy behind I mean, the course I'm doing is called creative writing therapeutic purposes and the the philosophy behind it is that we are all writers we all have the ability to write with whether we have a pen or not it includes um, poetry oral stories narrative therapy um, autobiography um, poetry therapy I mean it's, it's, it's a huge body of um, different things that are involved in um, therapeutic writing world but it's basically about everybody has a voice everybody has a right to express themselves and in, in expressing themselves through writing or through song or some kind of word expression that we can heal parts of ourselves that that transformation can take place that it can make life more bearable but also we can all it's the opportunity for everybody to participate in a creative process because we all have it inside us um so that so it, and it's a kind process it's about a lot of um therapeutic writing takes place in groups so a classic um poetry therapy application would be reading out um, a poem about a certain subject and then asking people to respond to that poem whether it's through poetry or prose or from a performance and then we share that amongst the group so that person's been heard in that moment they've also had the opportunity to be creative but they've also had the chance to hear everybody else so they take take away something themselves there's something for the whole group but it's, I mean, how often are we actually heard 
on a day-to-day basis you know we have conversations with people but often we're not really being heard it's it's really sometimes it's just two people talking at each other rather than hearing and conversing and therapeutic writing world is really about hearing the voices and we don't do the same critique like that oh that's good you need to put your full stop there your apostrophe was in the wrong place um it's in whatever kind of style there's not a huge emphasis on form and structure and craft although we do use that as a as a container um to process thoughts and feelings when we're writing something creative it's just about allowing expression so Really, we don't care if you don't use full stops, capital letters, apostrophes, you can swear. It's it's If it's meaningful to you, that's what it's about, about getting it out of your system. And I, for me, it's been a remarkable process because it's, um, it's very permission giving. It's very affirming. Um, and when, when you allow somebody to write in whatever way they want to write or express themselves, and then that person is heard, their writing is heard, if they want, if they choose to share it, because you don't have to share it. Um, and also you might be doing it individually, sat at your desk on your own at home. When you do that, it's, I can't have lost track of what I was saying, but it's incredibly affirming to that person. You're acknowledging them, you're hearing them. They have permission to be themselves. That unlocks something. It's just so powerful. And I think uh, the irony is that I'm sure that it leads to more passionate, more alive writing. Because if you're in this kind of half-censoring state of, is this going to be good, or trying to write it correctly or the right way, you may lose the entire emotion of what you were trying to say. But if you're writing from a position of getting the feeling right, or or just who cares what it looks like, you you may... Well, your emotional experience of writing it, it sounds like, will be much more satisfying. And at the same time, you'll get more to the heart of what you were trying to write about. And if you choose later to go back and check, um, I have a funny story about full stops versus periods. But if you ha- if you go back and check all of the grammar stuff later, then you can choose to do that if you want. But if you start from the position of, I have to do this correctly, you may miss all of yeah. the underlying um, emotion and, and everything in there by being too rigid from the beginning. Absolutely, keep it raw. I remember when um, I abandoned my writing self for decades and when I, the first moment when things started to shift shift for me, I was at a workshop in um, Scotland. It was a writing workshop called Wolf at the Door. And um, we had to do an exercise where we were just presented with two coffee pots and we had to write from the object. So I wrote a dialogue between two people. Um, One was a a Rwandan refugee and the other one was a supermarket worker who was packing Rwandan coffee onto shelves. Anyway, so I wrote this dialogue and I read it out and um, I was amazed at the feedback that I got. Um, And they they did a similar kind of feedback process where it wasn't about critiquing it or structural stuff. It was just how they felt about it. But the one thing that stuck in my mind about... um, that um, afternoon was the tutor was really positive about my work and I said oh well I might go and do a creative writing course and he said don't he said don't go off and do any training or formal creative writing courses just keep writing just keep writing and keep your voice raw 
you know don't worry about anything else just learn what your voice is and I I think that's what um what you've just said in, and talked about that when we're writing uncensored and writing from our heart and our true feelings we are starting to hear our voice there's so much stuff isn't there about finding your voice in writing and I'm, I'm not saying that I found my voice I, I don't know if I have or I haven't um but I think that's a really a good place to start to just be raw and unedited and to be a bit fearless yeah I think that's I think that's so important and I think that there's two sides of it. And I, I love that you're going to write a thesis on writing the, the cathartic novel, which to me sounds like a great book in itself, but maybe that will be a nonfiction book as well. No pressure. I just want to read it. Um, because I think that there is there are two levels. There's the, the level at which the writing of the book impacts the author. And then there's also the level at which the book itself impacts the reader. And you can't really, you can't ignore the reader entirely if you're planning to write something that is for someone else to read, but you also can't put them ahead of yourself. Mm. What do you mean by putting them ahead of yourself? Oh, you mean having them in your mind all the time when you write? Yeah, I think it can be helpful and hurtful. Like if I think about a particular reader that I love or who is a, you know, a generous reader and I think, okay, I'm going to write this story just like I'm telling the story to them, then that's helpful. But if you think about it Mm -hmm. as like, oh, what if the New York Times book review or the London Review of Books or the Guardian or whatever is going to read this book, I'm going to write this as if I want them to review it positively and you're envisioning them as the reader, then it just completely shuts you down to what you think is going to be acceptable. Yeah, Yeah. that's really interesting because I... Uh, speaking to my tutor on my current course when I was having a few wobbles about whether I was on the right course and whether I needed to be on a creative writing master because I just needed to learn and wanted to learn more about form and craft and structure and he pleaded with me he said please don't do that kind of course because it, it will shut you down and he said on a lot of and I don't know how true this is but he said on a lot of their courses they will teach you how to write poetry so you can get published by Faber and Faber. They will teach you kind of prescriptive writing to get published. I, I don't, you know, I'm sure that's not a blanket truth. I'm sure it isn't. But that's what he was pleading. Um, don't do that. Um, you're going to get so much more out of learning to write in this way. And I, you know, I hear what he's saying. And, um, well, I, I couldn't possibly write my book thinking about what Guardian and the Telegraph and all that lot would say about it. I just, oh, God, I don't even, nah, that's just not, that's just not in my mind at all, but. Well, don't let it be in there now. No, maybe Just ignore me. Maybe that affects more um, established writers. I wonder, I mean, I think that that's something that happens. I mean, I think once you've been published and you've been through the experience, if you're, if you've written a book that gets a lot of reviews, then I think it's very difficult to avoid thinking about that going forward. But it seems preemptive and disruptive to think about it before the thing is even published in the first place. Yeah, I think, especially if you're just, if you're doing, working on your first novel and it's your first draft, I would say just write whatever comes out, just write it, just write whatever comes out. And because you can always edit the second edit, the third edit, and if if you if it's and you can think about more about maybe your reader then you know it's it's like molding the clay, isn't it? We can make it into what we want. 
but we can't fire our pots straight away, Caroline. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't know where it came. Don't fire a, an unformed lump. It'll just turn out as a, you know, it's, you, you keep working on it. I think that's true. Oh, so yeah. I have to, I have to throw in my, my funny um, full stop versus period issue, which is because of my Anglophile tendencies. I have on my iPhone, I have series set as the British man voice because I enjoy listening to audiobooks read to me by a British man. I am currently listening to um, The End of the Affair by Graham Greene as read by Colin Firth. And let me tell you, it is delicious. Oh, wow. Oh, it's amazing. But I, so anyway, I said that to that. And then I, I was like, oh, I'm going to try this dictating thing. And so I said, oh, you know, the man went to the store, period. And that wasn't, I think it was an email I was dictating. I don't remember what I said. But, and then I looked at what they had dictated. I'm like, why do they keep spelling out the word period? Why do they keep spelling it out? Like, it was like, the man went to the store, the word period. And I was just like, what are they doing? And I was like, oh, full stop. I have to say full stop. <laughs> do you always say it like that? Full stop. Full stop. I don't know. I mean, it's probably because of my association with, with British narrators on audiobooks. Um, I think, oh, no one says anything casually. They all say them very dramatically like they do in, yeah. on BBC. There's nothing wrong with a dramatic full stop. <laughs> and sometimes it seems to work because the punctuation has been correct. I actually don't dictate that often, but... Um, but I was amused with my my lack of my lack of punctuation vocabulary in that moment. <laughs> so so where are you in the process right now? Maybe we can wrap up this episode, even though I could talk for another three hours. Um, in talking about like where you are in the process right now and where you see it, you know, evolving to in the next little while, and I can sort of say where I am as well. I reckon I'm just under a third of the way through um, in writing the story. So I'm just writing forward. I just go, you know, scene to scene to scene, writing forward. Although I am writing a few scenes out of sync. If something comes into my head that might be further down the book, I'm, I'm getting that written. Um, I'll see where it fits in. Um, so, yeah, about a third of the way through, um, I'm writing about five days out of seven, and my goal is to get the first draft done by the very latest at the end of this year. Um, but I've, I've got the opportunity to work intensively on it for the next few months. So I'll just see where it, it takes me. I don't work really well to um, self-imposed deadlines. It's more of an organic process for me. So that's, yeah. And then I'm going to put it away for a little while and then I will get it out of it's hiding place again after a few months and then work on the second draft. But I have got a few field trips that I want to do as well. But I'm, I might have to actually write some of that before I have the opportunity to go on the field trip. So it will then be padding it, padding it out. Nice. I love it. Yeah, I have, I have a similar issue because, I mean, I have been, I have been to Berlin you know, and several times now, but I would like to go back as part of the writing process, but I don't think I'll be able to do it this year. So I think I'm going, that's going to be a second draft process. So I think I'm yeah. going to work on just getting the, the first draft. So I have the sort of whole story down and then yes. I can go back in the second draft and really flesh out the sort of experiential yeah. details 
because I think I'll be clearer about the settings, like which particular locations do I want to go and sit in for an hour and really sense them um, rather than having this somewhat intimidating desire to capture the entire city um, without knowing which parts I might use. So in some ways, I think it may be helpful to have a rough draft down um, before I try to go back in the spring. Yeah, I like that idea, actually. Because that's that's it with the from I'm, same as you with the rough draft. I'm working on where's the story going, what's the shape of the story. That's and like you, or pad it out and not pad. Pad's the wrong word, but put in the detail. Join second draft, more of the detail. Yeah, so I like that idea, of perhaps going back after you've done your first draft. There was an idea that that Sarah Selecki shared um, that I found helpful for this, which is like you can, you only have so much bandwidth in each draft. So you can't look at every single aspect of a book. And she she said that um, if characters, you know, certain secondary characters are a little thin, it's okay. You can address that in the next draft. And she said, whenever I've done that, I've found that this sort of less developed, almost cut out shapes for those characters were exactly the right shape for the additional detail that came to me in the next draft. So she's like, don't worry that they're going to take on an entirely different flavor. And, you know, if if that cutout is, you know, the setting feels a little bit not quite fully developed, but you got this sort of intention of what the character is doing, then the next draft could be the way to evolve that. So in terms of where I am in the process, I'm sort of similar to you. I'm just writing, I'm trying to write a scene a day, three or four days a week. And then more if I can, but I'm trying to not, I find it's more motivating to me to be able to cross things off and then get extra credit if I do more rather than to set a goal that's too high and then feel like I've fallen short of it. Um, So if I set a five day a week goal and I only do three or four, I will spend much more time beating myself up than if I set a three or four day a week goal and then I end up doing five. Yeah. That's uh, probably some deep psychological issue. So that's where I am. And I'm probably, I would say, maybe 20% in Mm, to the book. So, yeah, I mean, I have, I spent a lot of time, I started writing it in January. I wrote for about a month and then realized that I was just wandering around in a circle. And I had the character like in a coffee shop for like three scenes. And I kept dragging her out there because I didn't really, I needed an outline, which I haven't really done fully before. So then I spent a couple of months working through um, K.M. Whalen's book, Outlining Your Novel, the workbook. So it has yeah. lots of questions and things you can answer about the, qu- the characters. And so I found that incredibly helpful. But then I also noticed that I was dragging that out a little bit because I was nervous about getting back. And I was like, okay, it's just time to get back. So now I've been back just writing scenes again for a couple of weeks. And that feels like it's there's momentum in that, which feels really good. And maybe sometimes though, like that outlining your novel book sounds really good. It's also that it's that cogitation time. You're reading that, but actually the story's working itself out in the background, just needing a bit of breathing space. And you know, I think because I think it's it's good to have time away as well from from what you're writing. Not too long, although I had two years away almost. But um, there's always stuff happening in the background, isn't there? Your your mind is working on it even when you're not writing. Definitely. I mean, I think one one distinction that I love that um, V.E. Schwab made in a video, she has a really wonderful YouTube channel if anyone hasn't seen it, but where she talks about writing. But one thing she said is that the period where you sit down and 
are either writing on the page or typing. She's like, that's typing. But any time of day, anywhere you are can be writing time. If you're thinking about the story and you're developing things, you're just transcribing when you sit down the things that you may have already worked out. And I loved that. I love it too. I absolutely love that. Yes. So I try to have three to four transcription sessions a week, but I'm thinking about the book all Mm. the time and I may not even be aware that I'm thinking about it. Mm. I I think that we should keep this conversation going and maybe come back to it when we're maybe at the end of a first draft and we could talk about where we've gotten to and how that's gone and what we're thinking about going forward. I like this as a series. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, good, because I'm like springing this on you as we're recording. (laughs) But I think it's an important conversation. And I think it's a good foil to all of these people that we're kind of impressed by who are at the other end of the spectrum and have gotten to that point. Totally. All voices are valid. Doesn't matter where you are in the process, you know, your voice matters and your words matter. I I want to hear everybody's words. Everybody's. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this with me. I'm so glad um, that you were willing to jump into this conversation and and share it. Oh, thanks so much, Caroline, for inviting me on. I I feel like I've learned a lot from you in this session, and I can't wait to read your book. I know. I can't wait to read yours. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.